Jesus ought to make us excited. I just believe that. I just believe there ought to be something that just, just moves on the inside of us every time we think about the goodness of God and all that he's done for us. Our soul ought to get happy. I guess I'm the only one that believes that. I just don't, I can't help it. Every time I think about his goodness and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah. Listen, we've made it to Romans chapter 4. Uh, we've had already a long journey through Romans. We've arrived at the first part of chapter 4, and I'm going to read for you, and I pray that you'd read with me Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And it says this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? You know, that's always the question, right? What does the word say about it? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. From this passage from Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. I want to lift this theme today, walking in the footsteps of Abraham. Walking in the footsteps of Abraham. All of you will recall, those of you that have been with us, will recall that Paul closed his initial case about the sinfulness of man in chapter 3 verses 9 through 20. You recall that I said it was a closing argument that I entitled Paul's summation of the human condition. He closes his argument there. After successfully arguing his case for two and a half chapters with the bad news. We got a lot of bad news, didn't we, over the course of the last few weeks? Uh, he then proceeds to open the next case with this seismic shift 
he makes from law to grace, from bad news to good news. In chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, which was our text last week, he made that shift from law to grace, from bad news that we had been all beaten down with to good news that caused us, as the psalmist says, to lift up our heads. O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, O ye everlasting doors. And then the psalmist says, the king of glory shall come in. Paul blessed us last week to lift up our heads as we got some good news. Uh, As I shared with you last week, he opens this new case in 321 with those two words, but now. But now, which signify a shift to the gospel of grace. And the fact that justification is through faith. With this shift, Paul stresses the idea that righteousness does not come as a result of works, but rather true righteousness comes through faith. So, so, so here's the question. There's a question that arises out of this text today. Here's the question. Is what Paul teaches in 321 through 31 consistent? With, old, with the Old Testament, which was the authority for his audience. The, the, the readers were, were, were bound by, they felt they were bound by the Old Testament scriptures. So is what Paul teaches in 321 through 31 consistent with what they believe? Here's the answer. The answer is righteousness through faith is consistent in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is not a new concept at all. Many of the people who would read Paul's letter to the Romans would not accept these things as fact, though. Uh, So Paul essentially says to them, let me prove it to you. To validate that line of thought that Paul goes, to to, to validate his his, his line of, of thought that he's taking now, his, his approach that he's taking now, he goes back into what I like to call Matlock mode. For those of you that were here two weeks ago, you know I told you a story about how I loved law. I wanted to be a lawyer, and I loved all the lawyer shows. Perry Mason, Matlock, Quincy, although Quincy wasn't a lawyer, he acted like one. And I told you that Paul, in his summation of the human condition, was in Matlock mode. He was giving his closing argument. Well, We've arrived at chapter 4, and to make his case and to prove that this is not a new concept, Paul, I contend, shifts back into a courtroom motif, and he's back in Matlock mode. He does this, and since he's in Matlock mode, he calls a witness to the stand. He calls to the stand a witness that the readers held in high regard. He calls Abraham to the stand. The Jews of Paul's day thought so highly of Abraham that some, that to some he was in fact very close to being even worship worthy. They held him in such high esteem and high regard, some of them even worshiped Abraham. There was no better witness that Paul could call to the stand than Abraham. He chose him for a reason. He calls Abraham to the stand to help him make his case in this passage, we find Old Testament support. The passage I just read to you, we find Old Testament support for Paul's case of justification through faith, which to his audience 
probably sounded like some kind of newfangled mumbo-jumbo because it sounded strange to them, justification through faith, but he says, let me prove it to you. So he calls Abraham. So then first thing I want to talk to you about that I see in the text is this, is, is, is the testimony of Abraham. In verses 1 through 5, the testimony of Abraham. Verses 1 and 2, I want to read them to you again. Verses 1 and 2, what then? I love how he opens it because it causes you, as he always does, as he starts every section of, that, we've, that we've read so far in Rome, he opens it with some words that make you look back. He says, what then? Because of what I just said, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham? I'm calling him to the stand. Our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So the Jewish people, he, he, he calls Abraham to the stand. The Jewish people regarded Abraham as the ultimate model of a person justified by works. They thought certainly Abraham proves the point that justification comes by works and by no other way but by works. Abraham certainly proves this point. Their belief was that God justified Abraham because his works merited righteousness. That's what they thought. But Paul's point is that Abraham was not in any way justified by works. You'll recall that Abraham is listed in Hebrews 11, that chapter that we know as the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. He's listed there in Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, it lists two faith highlights in the life of Abraham. I'd like to go there for just a minute and visit and talk a little bit about uh, some of Abraham's faith highlights in Hebrews 11, uh, verses 8 through 10. Uh, the writer of Hebrews makes reference to Abraham's call in Genesis chapter 12. Here is what it says in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is the writer of Hebrews referring to what happens in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, when God calls then Abram to leave his father's house, his native land, and go somewhere that he didn't have any clue where he was going. And so the writer of Hebrews uh, puts Abraham in the hall of faith, uh, number one, because he showed faith, because right after that it says that he and Lot, they just went. God says, get up out of this land, out of your father's house, and go to a place that I will tell you later about. How many of you here, by a show of hands, don't lie to me, would do such a thing. God says, get up and go somewhere. I'm not telling you where you're going. Just go. And as you go, I'll tell you where you're going. Don't worry about it. And I didn't see any hands go up because all of us know it'd be difficult. Now, I will have to admit that I've done it before. And I've kind of tried to make it a practice, Jacob, to do it because I've learned that if I don't do it, there's serious consequences. So I've learned my lesson along the way. But God has often had to take me kicking and screaming but I've learned now 
I've learned now to not do that. If God says go, I just go and I worry about what's going to happen when I get there. Because I know God knows what's best for me. So the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews inducts Abraham into the hall of faith uh, for a lot of reasons. But this is the first one he points out. That when God called Abraham, who was then Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, he didn't have a clue what was going on, where he was going. He just went because God said go. And I just submit to you today that if you want to make it into the hall of faith of eternity, if you don't even have to make it into the hall of faith, if you just want to be recognized by God as someone who has faith, when God says go, just go. Don't worry about what's going to happen. Just go because watch this. God has already gone ahead of you. He has a grand plan already designed. So the writer of Hebrews says, Abram is here in this chapter, not because of any work, but because he had faith enough to believe in God. Then, then the second highlight in the, in the hall of faith that the writer of Hebrews points, points out about Abraham uh, is in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. And here is what it says in 17 through 19 of Hebrews 11. It says, uh, here's the second highlight says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Y'all remember that story? And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The writer of Hebrews makes reference to what happens in Genesis chapter 22 when God calls Abraham to do something else that didn't make any sense to him. First, he says in 12, go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, just go. There's some other things that happen in between 12 and 22. We'll talk about them in a minute, some other highlights. But in 22, God says to him, take Isaac, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham does not question. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand on this one because I know nobody in this room would, would, would do what Abraham doesn't question. He just does what God tells him to do. He takes his only son. He had another son, but this was the son of promise. He takes Isaac up the mountain. Y'all remember the story? You know what happened? You know he had so much faith. Abraham had so much faith that when he prepares to go up the mountain, he tell, tells the men who had come with him, he says to them, Cody, he says, stay here because we're going to worship and we'll be back. He has enough faith to believe. First of all, he says, it's an act of worship. I'm going to worship God. And, and we'll, we'll be back, right? I don't know what he thought was going to happen. The writer of Hebrews gives us a glimpse of maybe what, he, maybe what he was thinking because the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham thought that God, even if God, if he sacrificed him, God would raise him from the dead. He had enough faith to believe that. Another highlight that the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews talks about in the life of Abraham. Um, th these are two highlights. And if these two highlights in Abraham's life... Uh, Taken out of, were taken out of context, it could lead one to believe that Abraham had something to boast about. If you took these two highlights, that the, he, the writer of Hebrews lists in the life of Abraham, if you just took them and you took them out of context, 
Uh, you would be led to believe that Abraham really has something to boast about. But Paul clears that up in verse 3 of, of Romans chapter 4 as he references another highlight in Abram's life from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. So then in verse 3 of Romans chapter 3, of Romans chapter 4, here is what, here is what Paul writes. For what does the scripture say? Before, so here, here's essentially what Paul is saying. Before you take things out of context, what does the scripture really say about the matter? Right? It, it, it's always a good idea, Sam, keep things, keep, keep the word of God in its proper context. Don't take the word, don't take situations and God's word out of context. So Paul says this, and it should be our question as well. What does the word say about it? And so Paul says in verse 3, uh, for what does the scripture say? Here's what it says. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't say anything about Abraham's works. He said, here it is. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He, he is referencing, he's quoting what it says in Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. Uh, it says this. After these things, in 1 through 6, here's what it says in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It's God's promise to Abraham. Uh, God makes this promise, this grand promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. And here's what God says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's the promise that God makes to Abraham, who's 75 then, the promise God makes to Abraham, you're going to have a son uh, that's going to be the son of promise. Your offspring will be more. You won't be able to number. They'll be like the stars. You won't be able to number. Here's, here's Abraham's response. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And so the writer of uh, Hebrews puts Abraham in the hall because of two of his highlights. And then you, if you take those highlights out of context, you can get it twisted and think that it was because of his works. But Paul in Romans 4, 3 clears it up and says it didn't have anything to do with his works. It was all because of his belief, his faith in God. And God, because of his faith, counted it as righteousness to him. Let's talk about this word counted. Let's talk about this word counted. It means uh, to credit or to consider, to give credit, uh, to credit one's account and to treat them accordingly. Uh, reminds me kind of somewhat of a story that's been in the news lately. Now, I know you're getting nervous because there's been a whole lot of stuff in the news. <laughs> oh, Lord, what is he getting? <laughs> it reminds me of the story of Tiffany and Robert Williams in uh, Pennsylvania. Many of you probably have heard the story, and you may not know who I'm talking about, but as I explain it, maybe you will. 
This word counted kind of reminds me of what happened to them, but in a different sense. Tiffany and Robert Williams uh, had a bank account. And for some strange reason, they went, Marty one day checked their bank account uh, last month, and all of a sudden there was $120,000 that showed up in their bank account. $120,000. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going online, checking it? And then, bing, like, whoa, what happened? Can you imagine the excitement? All of a sudden, my account went from negative 50. Hello, somebody. I know some of y'all can relate. <laughs> negative 50 to plus 120,000. You know what they did? They went out and spent every penny. Don't raise your hand, but I know with some of you, no, don't raise your hand. I'm not even going to ask you. All of a sudden, can you imagine the excitement that they had when they looked at their bank account and found out that somebody somehow had credited them without anything they did? They didn't work for it. They didn't earn it. It just showed up in their bank account, $120,000. Now, they did what we should not do, and here is where the story is not the same as what God does because they got the amount of money credited to their account by mistake. Now they've been charged with four felonies because the, the story says they went out and bought motorcycles, boats, paid off lump, paid off debt, and then they gave their friends and family 15000 Now they are, <laughs> they've been charged with four felonies, you know. But it's because they were so excited. Now, I, I don't know if it was because of that. I think it was just because they were stupid. <laughs> but can you imagine the excitement, the initial excitement? You're like, whoa, what happened? Thank you, Lord. It wasn't the Lord. <laughs> but in our case... In our case, listen, we, our account has been credited with much more than $120,000. Our account has been credited with the righteousness of God because of our faith, and it wasn't a mistake. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm much more excited. Than I, than I would be if I, because if I check my account and it had $120,000, i am going to be more scared than excited. God, because of faith, credited Abraham's, then Abram's account with righteousness, which is invaluable. It, it is beyond value. You can't put a monetary value on righteous, the righteousness of God. Beautiful thing is that Abraham was far from perfect. Now, I gave you some highlights, but Abraham had some lowlights as well. Y'all remember his lowlights. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, and let me just tell you where I'm going. In a minute, it's going to come back around to us because, listen, if we, we have to understand if God credited someone with, with not just highlights in their life, but also with lowlights with righteousness because of their faith, then also we, we fit that same mold because we've had some, some highlights, we've had some lowlights, and I don't know about you, but I've had many more lowlights than I have highlights. 
Abraham had some low lights in his life. And God looked beyond all of that. I mean, he, he said his wife was his sister. Twi not one, once, but twice. Lied on her. Although it was a half-truth, he still lied. The reason why he lied. Then, although God says to him, I'm going to give you a son that is going to be your son of, uh, that, that, that comes from you and Sarah, you and Sarai, I'm going to give you a son. He listens to somebody else. I'm not going to call any name. You won't get in trouble. <laughs> he has a low light and he says, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Come here, Hagar. A low light in his life. All of us should be able to relate to the low lights. But the beautiful thing is this, even with all of that, 15.6 says, he believed God and counted it to him. He put it in his account. He credited him with righteousness because of his faith. That's a beautiful thing to me. I'm not sure how it, how it resonates with you. And then chapter, uh, verses 4 and 5 of Romans chapter 4. In verses 4 and 5, here's what Paul says. Paul says in 4 and 5, he says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In these two verses, Paul drives home his point, and his point is seeking justification based on your works is an obstacle to God's grace. Seeking justification based on works will prevent uh, you receiving the grace of God. You have to be careful because God's grace is free. It's unmerited. It's an unmerited gift which is contrary to the idea of a payment owed as a result of some work that we've done. So Paul says, yeah, if, 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 if Abraham worked, uh, if he worked for it, then, then God owes him some wages. Just like when you go to work during the week and you look on Friday, you know they say the eagle flies on Friday. And you're looking forward to Friday because you've worked all week. And if something happens on Friday and the eagle don't fly, then you're upset. Because you worked hard, right, for the eagle to fly, right? And if you get to Friday, it don't happen, and you're upset because they owe you something. They owe you for the work that you've done all week long. And Paul says, if Abraham really worked for this, if his work really mattered, then God owes him something. Paul says, that's not the case. If we are indeed saved by good works, God is simply paying off a debt that he owes when he saves a sinner. If that's the case, if we're saved by that, then he's simply paying off a debt he owes. Uh, but we know that this is not the case. We know that the opposite is true. Uh, the one who does not count on works, Paul says in 4 and 5, the one who does not count on works, but believes in him who justifies, that one's faith is counted as righteousness. It is apart from our works. And so then he has Abraham on the stand, 
He's proven, I believe, he's made his case, he's, he's questioned, he, he's, 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 he's called Abraham, he's looked at Abraham's life, and because of the testimony of Abraham's life, I believe he could really close his case right now. Uh, he's in matlock mode, I believe he could sit down and say, Judge, I rest my case. But he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He, he calls on David to corroborate his story, his account. He calls on his second witness, David. And so in verses 6 through 8, we find the corroboration of David. Of David, Here's what it says. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Here Paul calls David as his second witness to corroborate the claims he's made regarding the effects of a faith like Abraham's. What happens if we walk in the footsteps of Abraham? What, what's the effects of that? He calls David. Paul here quotes, quotes David from Psalm 32, which is thought to be, by the way, a com, uh, companion to Psalm 51, written after David's sin with Bathsheba. Here's the point in this quote from Psalm 32. Here's the point. Once one receives the justification that only comes through faith, his sins are forgiven, covered by the blood, and those sins will never be credited to your account because they have already been credited to his account. The word count here is the same word that Paul uses in verse 3. So it goes both ways. In one, in one sense, God has counted our faith as righteousness and, and put into our account his righteousness and credited us with that. And in in, in, in just on the, in the opposite of that, he has not counted our sins to us and given us what we deserve in our account based on our sin. Isn't that beautiful? It's the same word, but it goes both ways. Uh, here, here's something I like that Charles Spurgeon says in his commentary on Psalm 32.1. He says this. He says, blessedness in this case is not ascribed to the man who has been a diligent law keeper. For then it would never come to us, but rather to a lawbreaker who by grace most rich and free has been forgiven. A full, instantaneous irreversible. Oh, I love those two. Instantaneous, irreversible pardon of transgression turns the poor sinner's hell into heaven and makes the heir of wrath a partaker in blessing. That's beautiful because it, 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 it fits me. <laughs> I can only talk about me, but it fits me. My hell has been turned into heaven because I've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. It was instantaneous, and I love this. It's irreversible. Isn't that something? I can't lose it. I can't, I can't get rid of it. God has captured me. It's beautiful. And so then, from dealing with the testimony of Abraham and the corroboration of David, Paul closes in discussing the exclusion of ritual. The exclusion of ritual. It's in verses 9 through 12. 
And in 9 through 12, there's this discussion about circumcision, uncircumcision, and all that goes along with that and the, and the impact it has on one's salvation, on one's righteousness, on one's justification. Does it play a part? And Paul deals with it in these last verses. So lastly, Paul covers another of Abraham's highlights in his life. He pulls what happens in Abraham's life from Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17 is when Abraham is circumcised as a sign of the covenant that he and God had together. The question is, do rituals like circumcision have anything to do with righteousness being credited to anyone? Was it credited to Abraham before or after circumcision? So Abraham now was back on the stand. He's back on the stand, and Paul, continuing in his matlock mode, he's called Abraham back on the stand now, and Paul recounts that Abraham was justified in Genesis 15. You remember we just talked about it, Genesis 15, 6? He was justified then. He was 75 years old when God justifies him uh, because of his faith, and in 17, he's circumcised. Now from 15 to 17, 14 years have elapsed, and now Abraham is 99 years old. The brothers ought to be uncomfortable. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> 99 <laughs> years old. <laughs> yeah. And as a sign, not as a work, but as a sign of his covenant with God at 99 years old, 14 years after God justified him because of his faith, Abraham has another highlight. He circumcised at 99. It didn't have anything to do with the work. It had everything to do with the fact that he had already, and so Paul says it in the end of this, end of this uh, passage. He says, was it before or after? Does it have anything to do with, with, with justification? The answer, the resounding answer is no, because the proof is in the life of Abraham. He had already been justified before he circumcised. And so, in conclusion, since we have Abraham on the stand, I mean, he's there, he's available, so since he's on the stand, I'd like to ask Abraham myself some things. I'd like to interview him real quick since he's still up on the stand. I'd like to ask Abraham, Abe, share some thoughts with those of us that are in the courtroom. Share some of your thoughts with us about faith. What can you tell us, Dorothea, about faith, Abraham? What can you share with us from the, from the witness stand that can help us in 2019 about faith? You are in the hall of faith. You should have a lot to say to us. Now, let me just give a disclaimer before I say any of this. This is only, this is only, uh, this is not in the Bible. <laughs> this is only my thought, my imagination of if I had a chance to question him and interview him, what he might say, right? It's not fact. It's just, but I, I, think, it, I think it could happen. I think if I asked him, what would he tell us about faith? I think he would say some things. I think he would have some things to say. I can't be certain, but I think some of the things he might say, I think he might say, faith 
to those of you that live in 2019, you need to know because I'm, I'm a champion of faith. I, 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 I'm, I'm in the hall of faith. I think he would say faith is our fuel. I think he would say that faith is what makes us go. I think he would say that it's the substance that both compels and propels us. I think Abraham might say, not that he did, but he might say, whenever your faith tank is on E, your life stalls. And the results are aborted potential and abandoned hopes and dreams. That's not in the Bible, but I think he would say something that may, be, may resemble that. I think he would say, faith to those of us that live in the 21st century is your few. I think it would also say that faith is not only that, faith is also your friend. I think Abraham might say that. Faith is here to assist us. It's here to support us. It's here to be honest with us and to encourage us, and that's what friends do. And faith that is that thing that fuels us also will be honest with us and support us. It is the opposite of fear. Fear is not our friend. I think Abraham would say that. I think Abraham would would borrow a line from Paul, even though Paul was not around yet, I think he would look to the future and borrow a line from Paul when Paul said, uh, for the Lord has not given us. He tells Timothy, the Lord has not given us spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I think Abraham would say, faith is your friend, fear is your enemy. I think he would say that. Uh, it will, fear will limit, discourage, and create doubt. I think he would say, faith, my brothers and sisters, in 2019 is your fuel. I think he would say, faith is your friend. Then lastly, I think Abraham would say, faith is also your filling. I think he would say, faith is what validates us as believers. It, concern, it confirms what we have confessed. It's the substance that's on the inside of us. If the package says Christian, there should be a faith feeling on the inside, I think Abraham would say, that matches the label on the outside. Now, I'm guessing, I'm putting words in Abraham's mouth. Y'all don't get mad at me. Don't send me emails. I'm just telling you what my sanctified imagination says about the testimony of Abraham. I think Abraham, it's not in the text. I'm not exegeting the text. I'm just telling you what my mind thinks. Abraham, I think Abraham would say, faith to the 2019 believers is our feeling. It's what ought to be on the inside. If your package on the outside says Christian. There ought to be a faith feeling on the inside. I think Abraham would say that. But then most importantly, I'm going to take my seat right now, because I think most importantly, this is the last thing Abraham would say to us about faith. I think Abraham would say this. I think he would say, faith in the faithfulness of Christ frees us from bondage. As it is the frequency by which righteousness is credited to us. I think if I could have him on the stand, I think that's what he would leave us with. Our faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Is that thing that frees us from the bondage and allows us to have righteousness credited to us. Abraham, you're excused. You've done well. 
You've helped us make the case. And you've left us with some good advice for 2019. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the witness of Abraham. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us his life as a model. That although it wasn't perfect, Lord, you've shown us that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to have faith in you. So we thank you. Allow us, Lord God, to walk in the footsteps of Abraham and live with righteousness credited to our account. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to extend an invitation for those of you that may be here, might have a desire to unite with, here, with us here at Bethel Hope. Um, I'd like to extend an invitation. If you're here and you'd like to do that, uh, we want to give you that opportunity. If you'd be so kind to raise your hand, we'd, have, we'd love to have someone take you and give you the information on how to get that process started. It's, a, it's an easy process, but we want to share that information with you. If you've been coming or if, you, if it's your first time and you feel like the Lord has led you here, we want you to not leave without uh, uniting with us. Anybody? And then most importantly, most importantly, 